Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our gospel lesson from the 15th chapter of St. Luke with an emphasis on these words. The father said to his older son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. This may not surprise any of you who have siblings, but growing up, I remember often being in frequent argument and competition with my younger brother, and not always in a very kind way. In fact, as a young child, I couldn't help but feel that every time my little brother received some reward or some favor from my dad or my mom, that this was a zero-sum game. That everything that he got was something that I did not get. And as a result, we would frequently bicker, fight, or even come to occasional blows with one another. My mom and dad would then need to step in and break up the fight, at which point, and you can probably guess this, neither of us would get whatever it was that we were arguing over. Now today's parable from the 15th chapter of Luke introduces us to two such foolish brothers. The first of whom we hear about, the one we call the prodigal, squanders his father's inheritance in foolish living. He leaves his house and his estate and he goes off and consorts with all manner of unenviable, undesirable characters. And as a result, when he's left with nothing, he's forced to turn tail and return to his father begging for mercy. The father, on his part, is all too quick to give that mercy to his foolish son. This wonderful little story is usually taught in our Sunday school classes in order to introduce our children to the way in which God, our Heavenly Father, forgives us. And this is most certainly true. But like all the parables of Jesus, you'll notice that this is but one of several layers to this old familiar story. In fact, I would like to begin this morning in our lesson for today by challenging you all to make a paradigm shift in this old beloved parable. Are you ready for it? Okay. From now on, I want you, the people of Faith Lutheran Church, to stop referring to this story as the prodigal son and instead refer to it as the tale of the loving father. Think about why that might be for just a moment. It's the father, not the son, whose actions inform our understanding of Jesus' teaching in this parable. Moreover, Jesus told this story in response to a group of Pharisees, men who, as we see in the opening verses of this chapter, were scandalized that any self-respecting rabbi could possibly receive sinners and eat with them. The folly of the Pharisees is easy enough for us to identify. Assuming themselves to be greater than the tax collectors and the sinners rallying around Jesus, they thought themselves superior by their actions, superior by their words, superior by their heritage, and in so doing, they themselves were convicted of sin. For they begrudged the needy compassion 
from their Messiah, assuming him to belong exclusively to themselves. And this sin, you might notice, sounds not like the sin of the prodigal son, the son whom we place all the emphasis on in this story. Rather, this sin is emblematic of the older son, the overlooked actor in this drama who begrudged his dear old dad's mercy in welcoming back his younger brother with such an extravagant show of affection. Consequently, the older brother is frequently associated with the Pharisees. And for most of us who learned or read this story for the first time in Sunday school, well, we often dismiss this older brother as the villain of the tale, and he is summarily ignored. We pass over the other son because we are quite confident that the part of the story which pertains to us is already wrapped up neatly with a nice little bow in the ring and in the feast. Sure, we all, like the prodigal son, have gone astray occasionally. Sure, we have sinned and returned begging for mercy from God our Father. But at the same time, we know full well who we are. We are the redeemed children of God. We have been welcomed back into his house. We have been washed clean in the waters of baptism and had our sins taken away. And so for us, well, that's kind of the end of the story, isn't it? But here's the danger of emphasizing the prodigal son over the loving father. Because yes, while the younger brother's story was wrapping up beautifully, the older brother was in danger of missing out because of pride and envy. And his father, seeing this, does not leave his son out in the cold of the field by himself to kind of work through things. Rather, he recuses himself from the feast. He himself goes out into the field to engage with his older son and bring him back around. He does not dismiss or ignore his firstborn because of his selfishness. Instead, he reminds him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. Did you notice how Jesus kind of abruptly stops the, abruptly stops the story here? without really telling us what the older son's reaction to his father's invitation was. He does this intentionally. He, he leaves the ending open because for the Pharisees and for the company of Israel as a whole, the conclusion of the story was yet to be determined. It's as though he was inviting those Pharisees who were scandalized that he would eat with sinners and tax collectors. It's as though he was saying to them, Now you, O Pharisees, set aside your bitter jealousy. Come and enjoy the feast. Come back into the inheritance which your God has promised you from times of old. And now be glad with those newcomers who may share in it as well. There's room at the table for everyone. Just like the loving father. Jesus does not leave his bitter accusers out in the dust of the field, but he comes to them where they are. 
and he gives a challenge to them. What is that challenge? What's our magic word for the last three weeks been? Repent. That's right. Repent and return to your father's house. And I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, you lifelong Lutherans, well accustomed to the blessings and benefits of your father's house, you who have never strayed but these many years have served faithfully and never disobeyed your father's command, this challenge is now for you. Who are the outsiders whom you ignore? Who are those foolish prodigals who you would just as soon not see wander back into the narthex on Sunday morning? And let's not mince words here because, as we all well know, Pharisaism is alive and well in the 21st century. Who are you better than? Those tax collectors and sinners? The woke liberals or the small-minded conservatives? The proud boys? The LGBTQ social justice warriors, the abortionists, the abusers, the habitual drug users, or perhaps someone a little less obvious, those fair-weather friends who we only see in the Father's house on Christmas or Easter. When those two repent of their sins, when those two receive forgiveness and compassion from their Heavenly Father, would you begrudge them? his generosity? Or would you rejoice? Would you slaughter the calf? Would you fetch the robe for those outsiders? Be honest with yourself. And if the answer to this question is no, and believe me, my answer has all too often been no, then I invite you, hear again the mercy of your Heavenly Father. How often have you like the prodigal son, assumed that you knew better than the Lord your God? How often have you gone out on your own way? How often have you chased after any number of the sinful temptations or the passing fancies of our fallen and sinful world, only to return, tail between your legs, begging for mercy? I know I have. Remember your own sin. Remember your own need. Remember that you, too, have fallen short of his glory and were once destined for death and the grave. Remember, O sinner, that you are but dust. How many times have you come to this altar right here at Faith Lutheran Church and laid your sins bare before your Lord God only to be welcomed back into his presence with open arms? Remember that you, too, have been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is yours in Christ Jesus. For all of us, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, children of wrath, while we thought we knew better, Christ died for us. Christ demonstrated in the most complete sense the love that our God and Father has for us his fallen and needy children. And yet, still, there are times when we resent those who would receive that same forgiveness from our God. 
having received grace upon grace, the old Adam in each and every one of us is still reluctant to respond in kind to his neighbor who is still lost in sin. We're so concerned with avoiding the foolishness of the prodigal son that rarely, if ever, do we see ourselves as the other son, the older son, the one pouting out in the field while our father celebrates with those who were lost and are now found. See how we forget our own need, how we forget and ignore our own lack. Instead, we would presume that we, unlike those sinners over there, have somehow earned God's favor. That we, by our works, by our words, by our bloodline, by our heritage, have somehow endeared ourselves to God's Father as to presume upon Him that we are worthy of His grace. And when we do so, we forget that it is His grace, His mercy, which call us children and heirs, not our own works. Hear St. Paul's words to the children of God in Ephesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. With these words... Your God reminds you, as the loving father did to his foolish older son, that you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are his. Not because you have earned the privilege, not because you have worked to pay off your debt, but because your God has baptized you into his name. He has called you his own, and he has made you an inheritor with him to, the, to his whole household, And he has promised you a seat at his wedding feast without end. But the apostle continues. We are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As children of the heavenly father, see to it therefore that you conduct yourself as is befitting one who has been redeemed by Christ crucified. What that means in the context of this parable? Do not persist in foolish pouting, nor consider yourselves better than your neighbor because their sin is different from your sin. Rather, rejoice. Rejoice with him who has shown you such great mercy that you should be called his very child that you should be baptized into his name, that you should be fed and nourished by his word and sacrament, that all the riches of his heavenly inheritance have been conferred upon you, a sinner. Surely, the Christ who welcomed tax collectors and sinners to eat with him has room at his table for you and me, and for all who come seeking relief from the wages of their sin. Rejoice that this same mercy is not just for you, but for all who have come to this altar in humble repentance to receive a reprieve from their trespasses. Instead of pouting, pull up a chair. Fetch the ring and the robe 
and the sandals. Rejoice that this God's own lost child has been found. That they may share with you in the inexhaustible gifts which he freely gives. And that they might join their voices to your own in singing his praises in the new heaven and the new earth in the world without end. For your God's house is big enough to shelter all who come to him. Your God's grace is sufficient enough for all peoples. Your God's mercy is great enough for every creature whom he has made. He, your loving Father, he is enough. All that is his has been made yours in Christ Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.